Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I am your recruiting analyst and host of this podcast, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing editor Ross Binder on this beautiful Sunday morning in November. And I think uh, we can credit the warmth today to the heat that the Iowa offense brought. Yes, I am cringing with you <laughs> at that sentence that I just said. But I, oh, Elliot, I'm, I just want to make sure none of us woke up and got fired by Texas A&M this morning, right? Not, not any of us. Somebody else did. Luckily, <laughs> all right. <That's> good. <laughs> if you missed that. More recent breaking news: uh, Jimbo Fisher is expected to be fired today. It hasn't he come is, forth. I think it, I think it's done. It's just maybe not official, official, but it's it's happening. Okay, yeah. he he right. he's been fired in the press, at the very least. Right, well, he's been fired in the press for probably a little while now. But <laughs> um, money, lots of money left on the table that I'm sure some booster is going to come forth and and help the program out with because that's a lot of dough. So this is an Iowa football podcast, so (laughs) let's get to the game last night. We actually saw what we've been hearing about in complimentary football last night. That was the first time all season I've seen something remotely close the complimentary football, unless you count the Western Michigan game, I guess, which was kind of ugly, but no. <laughs> Ross says no, therefore, that is a no. Deacon I mean, Hill. I, 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 I just don't count that game because it was Western Michigan. Like They're yeah. just not a very good football team. Like Rutgers is a legitimately good football team, and we actually saw a very competent offense yesterday. So Very competent. <laughs> Very competent is definitely relative in Iowa circles. But 20 of 31 for Deacon Hill, 223 yards. That's the first time an Iowa quarterback has surpassed 200 yards in 12 games. Uh, One touchdown, of course, the interception, that was a little bit silly. But you give him a break on that one because of how he played overall. 65% of his passes completed. Did not think we'd see him get anywhere near that this season. He does against a solid Rutgers defense. Hawkeyes take the victory 22 to zero. Adam, I'm going to hit you. Uh, you just published an, an article on, on the site this morning about Deacon Hill and his performance. Um, uh, so you went a little bit more in depth than, than what we did. What did you think of, of Hill? And, and did you garner anything in particular about the performance uh, in, in writing the article that maybe some of us didn't see? Well, there was a couple things that stood out to me about his performance that I would say sort of flew under the radar. And the first of them was the fact that Deacon Hill, technically, that there is a caveat here, but technically Deacon Hill did not get sacked on Saturday. And when we're talking about the negative plays that can really derail an Iowa drive, you know, aside from a turnover, the next worst thing that can happen is a loss of down and a loss of, you know, eight to 10 to 12 yards. And we've seen plenty of those plays from Deacon Hill over his first four weeks. And for all of the ball control um, faults that he's had, the bad interceptions, and there was one on Saturday, the fumbles, um, you know, whether or not they get lost or not, the sack is the bronze medalist of disasters. 
as Iowa offenses go. And so the fact that Hill was able to not only like avoid the sacks, but also navigate the pocket with some surprising poise, I would say, really reflected a step forward in his development as a quarterback. Now, the one caveat is he was sacked. And and I, I think you guys, <laughs> I, I, I saw both of your your ears sort of peer, or perk up because he, he was sacked the one time, but it got negated by defensive holding call. And, and I didn't even see the hold, but no one really seemed to be complaining on the um, Rutgers sideline that much. But that was it. Other than that, navigated the pocket cleanly uh just had the one really bad interception that he threw but since he wasn't sacked there wasn't really an opportunity for him to put the ball on the ground there there was the one botched handoff in the uh in the second half i believe but again like these are the exceptions that prove the rule and the fact that deacon has just brought that baseline of competency and and like eliminating the disasters the fact that he's just brought that up is in and of itself it's it's not the sexy sort of improvement that fans want to see but it is a big part of the reason why he eclipsed 200 yards and Elliot I'll go one further on you not only the first 200 yard passing performance by the Hawkeyes this season not only the first in 358 games I want to say uh but at 223, it was the highest passing total since week five of last season when cool. Petrus had to uh, throw a, a bunch in the fourth quarter to try to make up the deficit against Michigan in that really forgettable home game uh, last season. That was it. And so the fact that it's Deacon Hill and not Cade McNamara breaking that streak in and doing it with room to spare, boy, it's says a whole lot about his progression in just the last four weeks. And and Kirk Ferentz sort of said the same thing after the game. Ross, you saw something else too, didn't you? Well, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on your thought about, you know, he had those mistakes. He had the had the interception, had the it was kind of a botched snap fumble towards the end of the game. And I think what really stood out to me was that those plays don't hurt as much when he's also making a lot of other good plays. Like what we've had the issue with for the last month or six weeks with him is that the good plays are so few and far between um, with, with him in the passing game. And so then when those negative plays happen, they can just be really crippling, especially like that interception right before halftime, you know, that was a surefire scoring opportunity. You know, they're on the what three yard line, five yard line at the absolute worst, they should be getting a field goal there, go into halftime up six, nothing. You know, the last couple of games, if Iowa doesn't get points there, that could have been, you know, crippling the way we've seen the offense operate against Minnesota and Northwestern and even Wisconsin to a little bit of an extent. Um, so that, but there were just so many more opportunities in this game. The offense was able to be successful. He, Hill was successful. He was completing passes. Um, in your article, you know, you noted that Iowa didn't have of a third and out or a three and out in the entire game, which is a tremendous stat for this offense in particular, because they've been just the Kings of the three and out this season. Um, I'll get to you in just a minute, Adam, but I was just going to say, and, and that was Deacon. A lot of it was, he was, you know, he had a couple sneaks to get first downs. He was throwing some good passes on, on uh, to get first downs too. So like there was just real progress in his performance, which 
uh, was super encouraging. Speaking of sneaks, Deacon likes sneaking Deacon. He said he's heard it so much more in his life in the last two weeks than he has ever, but he has he has approved it. He did last night. One one thing that I'll point out about that sneak, and that was one of the four instances where not only did Iowa avoid a three and out on a drive, but Deacon personally converted that third down. He had three passes to convert a, a third down on that first series of a drive and a, a sneak on third and one that ended up giving them two yards. So again, Ross, not only did this team avoid the three and outs, but Deacon was the one making those plays and sustaining the drives. And that's, that's how drives turn into points is just to like get that journey started. And so the fact that Hill had gone from, uh, I believe it was 24 three and outs, and we're not even including the turnovers, 24, like three play and then punt drives over the last four weeks, turns around and as close to a clean slate as you're probably going to get out of a player like him. Again, two bad mistakes. And, you know, he, no one in that locker room is running from either of them. But again, they're sort of the exceptions that prove the rule that <laughs> everything other than that, maybe not everything, but so much other than that was positive that just like Ross said, you can withstand those mistakes and still win by, you know, like Iowa did by 22. And that is what fans have been waiting for basically all season long. I think with this, this defense is so good that you don't have to give them a lot on offense, obviously, for Iowa to have a chance to win a game. But they, they need something. And yeah. they were just getting so little to work with these last few games. And, you know, that's what, you know, that bit them against Minnesota. Uh, you know, it's been close in some other games too. You know, you give them as many opportunities as, as they had yesterday. And that's how you get, you know, it was only 22 to nothing. And that felt like a 45 to nothing win for, you know, for most teams, I think. Like, yeah, it was just a. Yeah. Once you incorporate the Big Ten West exchange rate. Yeah. It was basically a 45 0 <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I just tweeted this out. This is from last night's game. We're talking about the offense and the defense, especially Deacon Hill contributing the way he did last night. Obviously, I read his stats 20 of 31, 223 yards and a touchdown, 46 carries between Jazz Patterson, um, LaShawn Williams, LaShawn Williams, rather, uh, Caleb Johnson, two end arounds for for Caleb Brown. And then they incorporated those losses for for yards as well. Caden Weijin in there, 46 carries, 179 yards and a touchdown, 402 total yards. That's the first time they've eclipsed 400 yards this season. And I don't know the last time they did it. Iowa defense, they held the uh, whims at to seven of 18 for 93 yards and an interception. Yeah. 23 carries. This is team total for Rutgers. 23 carries, 34 yards. That's against the team with Monongai, who I believe was leading the Big Ten in rushing, 903 yards going into this game. He did it against Ohio State. He did it against, I believe, either Michigan or Penn State. I don't know if they've played. I think Michigan. Didn't do it against Iowa. Held them to 127 yards, which is the fewest they've allowed since 2019 against, you guessed it, Rutgers. <laughs> that is complimentary football. We've been hearing all about it all season. We finally saw it. 
And I would appreciate a retweet because I'm happy about that. <laughs> I'm happy about putting all of that together and getting it out on Twitter. And and I that really came together last night. And, you know, speaking of which, here's a stat for you. For those who haven't seen it again on, on my Twitter, I said it to Adam at the game last night. Caleb Brown's touchdown. We'll, we'll, of course, talk about Caleb Brown here momentarily. His touchdown was the first to a wide receiver since they played, you guessed it, Western Michigan in week three. Deontay Vines caught a touchdown pass in that one. Caleb Brown caught the first for a wide receiver since week three. All it took was nine games and three quarters, nine and three quarters of a game, something like that. So uh, here we are. And now with a bit of a rough stat, we can transition to something a little bit better in Caleb Brown. We actually got to see him. And, and, you know, his stat line wasn't exactly ridiculous last night, but just to see just to see him be productive for them to put the ball in his hands and him contribute to the offense is so big. It's so big for him and for the offense to see him contribute. One, it's confidence for him. Two, it's trust, not only from the players, his teammates, but from the staff to say, oh, you know, he actually put it together in a college football game. This isn't something where he's coming in and we're just talking about the potential every week. This is something where we've actually seen it. And I'll read you his stats here momentarily. He had two rushes for 20 yards, um, which in the Iowa offense is fantastic for a receiver. He also caught three passes for 27 yards and a touchdown. And it's not like he was wide open on that touchdown. It's not like he had a ton of green grass in front of him on those runs. He was taking contact. He was making guys miss. And this is the Caleb Brown. Again, four-star receiver, all the potential in the world, something we've talked about all season. They ran a receiver screen for him, which is something I've been talking about for nine games. And he did it. And this is monumental for the Iowa offense. What Deacon Hill did is that step further. But what Caleb Brown did last night is huge. And obviously you want Deontay Vines back. You want him on the field. But in his absence, Caleb Brown was great. Yeah, it really felt like not only Deacon, who we've talked about plenty now, but also Caleb. Like you mentioned, it, it really sort of felt like they were making footholds in terms of the progress that they're trying to make as Hawkeyes here in their first season with the program. And it's one thing to hear about it in practice, right? Um, it's another to see it happen on the field, especially when for so much of the season, uh, you know, Caleb's been on the bench or potentially in the doghouse on a personal matter. Uh, Deacon has, you know, been the... Um, as as much of a focal point for derision and punchlines as, frankly, his offensive coordinator has been. And like you said, yesterday, Saturday, felt like the first time where they're really not only just like putting it together enough to get on the field, but to succeed on the field. And that is very validating, especially for a younger player. And they're both very young. And Kirk has told us that many times about both of them. And he, he says said for a reason, because they really do need to get their consistency up in order to be able to be productive against Big Ten defenses. That's just, we see what happens when the consistency isn't there. And that's usually disaster plays. So 
to see Caleb go from not even on the field, not even in uniform, and everybody sort of whispering about what it means for him to get onto the field, to make plays. Elliot, like you mentioned, he scored that touchdown, and it's not like he just caught the ball and was standing in the end zone. It was a third and 10, and he had multiple tackles to break to get into the end zone, and he did it. And some of that is also why he is so intriguing as a prospect, and that's because he played running back in high school, which, again, Kirk will be quick to remind us about. And that... While it it has sort of underscored the fact that he's got a lot of room to grow as a receiver, the fact that he's got those between the tackle running skills, we'll, we'll put it that way, is why he was able to score on that play. It's why he was able to fight for those extra four or five yards against Northwestern in that big crucial catch that he had that, you know, essentially put Iowa in field goal range and, and meant that, you know, they didn't have to lean on Deacon one too many times, potentially. So the fact that he's already flashing why he was brought into Iowa City in the first place, even if, you know, there's a lot of building that he needs to do, at the very least, he can see, the fans can see, the coaches can see why he's there and it's already turning into production. It's, you know, patience is a luxury that fans really don't want and that coaches often don't have. But with just a little bit of patience, by 2024, assuming everything else, you know, stays on track for him, Caleb Brown looks like, you know, he was brought in for a reason and, and he can start to be, you know, getting closer to stardom at the very least. So yeah, that was incredibly encouraging. And, and Iowa needs that sort of playmaking on the outside as bad as anything on this team, as bad as anything. I tell you what, when you look at the performance from Deacon Hill last night, 20 of 31, like we talked about, that's got to do so much for his confidence. Right. Like we could, Adam, I don't know about you, but I could feel it when he was at the post game presser last night. That was a different oh, Deacon that we saw. That was a different sure. Deacon. And to know that you've got a playmaker that's not your running back in LeSean Williams or Caleb Johnson or Jazz Patterson, it's not your tight end. You don't have to <laughs> default to, to Eric all like he was those first few seasons, those first few games with him as the starter, obviously all out for the season. Now his, his tight end number one is Addison Ostranga. And we got to talk about that catch to Zach Ortworth as well, or that threat of Zach Ortworth. But to know you have a playmaker on the perimeter and a guy you just have to get the ball to, and he can make a play. That is enormous. You don't have like, this is no disrespect to Nico Ragaini. No disrespect to Deontay Vines. Those aren't, that's not who they are. I'd, I'd right. probably trust Seth Anderson to make more of a play in that moment. And he's not exactly a playmaker in those moments either, but you have that in Caleb Brown. And that just adds a whole different dyna dynamic to the offense. And it's got to be something in the back of Deacon's mind where it's, I can hand it off to, to one of these three guys, they can make a play. I can get the ball to our tight end, which is something that we traditionally do in this offense. 
I, the, uh, the offensive line, despite all the injuries, looked pretty damn good yesterday. Tyler Ellsbury at center. We ended up seeing Jack Dotzler at left guard later on in the game. I'm sure that game was in hand, so they just wanted to get Rusty out. But um, you've got a playmaker on the exterior now, on the exterior of the offense. You get it to him in space, Caleb Brown can make a play. He did it on that third and goal, third and 10 last night. That's just another thing. That's another notch in your belt as the backup quarterback who's had to come in and the offense relies on you. Yeah, I yeah. go ahead, Ross. Oh, I was just going to say in terms of, of Brown, I, I thought it was encouraging that they just put him in positions to succeed like they did, you know, using him on those end arounds and then using him as a, you know, the wide receiver screen pass, like, you know, those are things where he can be very effective and, uh, you know, they finally used him in that, in those roles and it worked well for the offense. So that was, you know, I think um, gratifying and hopefully something to build on for the next couple of games. The, um, the one thing that I'll point out, the, the, the guard that we saw, I, I had to look it up afterwards, Elliot. It was actually um, uh, Peeper or Piper, Cade Piper, oh. uh, the freshman. Yeah. Which in and of itself, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was Dotzler too until I saw his uh, nameplate when we were on the field at the end. But yeah, he was he was in there, which yeah, O is correct because he's a freshman. So that portends well. But uh, he was actually a guy that we had asked uh, Jennings Dunker about um, on Tuesday because he had shown up in the two deeps and uh, he's listed at 255 pounds and the last time that we've seen an Iowa lineman listed that low and actually getting on the field was either uh, Bruce Nelson or Robert Gallery uh, in 2000 um, back when they were still like trying to put weight on Dunker did tell us that um, Piper is up to 285 already so <laughs> he wasn't really overmatched physically despite what um what it'll look like on paper at the very least. But yeah, that was, I, I thought that was fascinating that he had already sort of worked his way into that rotation and something to look forward to in 24. Cause there are some guys that are going to be exiting the offensive line. In regards to, to Piper, when we were talking with Jennings, so we were talking with Jennings about his diet. Jennings is known for his, what is it like eight protein shakes a day? He's down to two now, I think. Yeah. And we asked him about Kate and how he put on all that weight. If he took any, uh, any advice from Jennings and Jennings like, Oh, mostly carbs. <laughs> like, uh, that was so funny. He went from 255 to 285 in the time or 250 somewhere around then to 285. Now uh, in, in such a short amount of time being with the program, this is a guy we've heard a lot about and we can't forget Leighton Jones is in there. Trevor Lauk is in there, and this is a group that we've heard a lot about from uh, Coach Barnett in the uh, uh, serving in that practice squad group. Uh, Trevor Lauk is a four star out of Indian, or, yeah, Indianapolis, and so these are these are guys. These are George Barnett's guys. We're starting to see this this offensive line start to come together finally towards the end of the season here, and now Barnett's guys are starting to get incorporated into what they're doing. And, you know, it's, it's it's patience is a luxury that fans don't want to use. You you said it, Adam. And now it's starting to look like 
that might be on its way back to really being a, an anchor for the Iowa offense is that that offensive line. And again, this is one week as compared to, you know, several other weeks we've seen throughout the season where the offensive line looked bad. So we don't want to get, you know, too far ahead of ourselves here, but it has looked improved. There's a lot of young guys coming in. Um, I think Joey Van Wensinger in the 2025 class is going to be an awesome center, and I skipped over 2024. Cody Fox is coming in as a four-star offensive lineman. I believe in Bodie McCaslin. I believe in Will Nolan. I, I really like that that offensive line group in, in 2024 as well. Um, and I know I'm forgetting – oh, uh, Josh Janowski out of yep. – uh, Lincoln Way East in in Chicago, so things are things are trending in the right direction for the offensive line. Now that we've talked about the offense, uh, every oh, by the way, no, we got to talk about Zach Ortworth because Steve Stilianos was out yesterday too. This is the top or three of the top four tight ends out. Obviously, that happened against Wisconsin too, with uh, Eric All going down with a knee injury, and that's when Addison Ostrango was dealing with some some health stuff. Zach Ortworth catches his first ball of his career at Iowa, 54 yards. Deacon was telling us about it post-game, and he was like, I could see from that far away his eyes get about this big. Um, caught that ball. And that's another guy that we've I, – I tweeted about it last night. I believe I asked Steve Stilianos about Ortworth earlier on in the season when all the injuries were going on with the tight end group, and he said, yeah, he's going to be good. You can see it now. And – Another, I mean, like Piper, we've seen a little bit more of Ortworth and we've seen some of the 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 issues just because he is a true freshman with that blocking that he was he was tasked with against Wisconsin. But he snuck up the seam and was wide open. And if Deacon hit him in stride, that's a touchdown. Yeah, that there was it, it was funny because not only did you know, uh, Deacon make that comment in the post game. But as soon as Deacon said, I had a pretty good view of his eyes, like that was all it took for that newsroom to to just start laughing because we knew what was coming. And, and yeah, the, it, you have to imagine for a guy who's never made a catch at the college level, just breaking on a seam route and just like looking in front of himself and saying, oh, no one's covering me. And then you turn around and the ball is coming like, yeah, my eyes would be as big as saucers at that point. And the fact that he was able to, you know, at the very least, trust his instincts enough and, you know, black out as as Deacon put it to just trust his instincts, trust his skill set, make that catch and, and get as many yards as possible is a testament to the work that the coaches have done to get that lower end of the tight end room healthy, because Elliot, like you said, the first three tight ends on that depth chart all gone and and this is an offense that really really needs tight end and so you know all you're left with it at you know the point of last week was you know addison ostranga uh, zach ortworth uh, johnny pescuzzi is in that mix too like that's that's about it and that's not really what this offense was set up for when they started the season and so it's it's another instance of uh one it's a testament to the coaches for getting that many guys ready for like important snaps during the season, right? We're not, we're not talking about garbage time at this point. Like Iowa really needed those 54 yards from Ortworth, you know, Deacon Hill really needed them. 
So it's a testament to the coaches. It's a testament to the players and, and really just sort of a testament to, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily call it complimentary football, but a testament to the fact that Iowa's success at other positions and other phases of the game sort of allows them to learn on the fly uh, to, you know, just sort of learn on the field, baptism by fire, whatever cliche you want. Um, and, and, and that is something that bad teams don't really do, or, you know, just sort of take L's in the process. And I was got these guys who were nowhere near the depth chart at the start of the season. They're contributing to a winning team. This team's already locked up a share of the division championship. They're a near lock, near lock to play in Indianapolis. And that seems so unlikely. And some of it's a bad division, but also some of it is just someone has to win and Iowa keeps doing it. I would be pretty surprised if a week from yeah. oh, Go ahead, Ross. Sorry, I was just going to say, you know, shout out to Ostranga too, because he had, what, eight catches yesterday? Um, you know, he was a big part of that keeping keeping the offense going. You know, he had some definite, you know, first down catches on on some third down throws from Deacon, and uh, he had a really great catch towards the sideline, I think, near the end of the game. And uh, just, you know, seeing some more consistency from him, um, you know, was just another good sign because he, they are just so, you know, lacking in the tight end room right now just in terms of bodies. So having guys that can step up and, and produce is huge. I thought you were being hyperbolic. He actually had eight catches, eight catches for yeah. 47 yards, eight catches, eight targets. Yep. Yeah. 47 yards. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, well, while we're on it, who led the uh, receiving group in yards yesterday? It was Ortworth, right? Ross, is that your guess? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it was Ortworth for total yards. Yeah. Yep. One catch, 54 yards. Next up was Nico with four catches for 48 yards. Uh, he was targeted 11 times and only had four catches. So uh, I'd have to go back and, and look at, at what that looked like. But to have your tight end, your number one tight end, have eight targets, eight catches. And even though it's for 47 yards, there was one on that rollout. And, and that is what they're doing with Deacon now. It's a consistent get him on the move, get him out of the pocket, and get him comfortable so he can set and throw. And that's something that has, has done a lot for him as well. And that's something that we all noticed in his first, first not start, but first snaps, meaningful snaps against Michigan State. Yeah, the and I think that that's not a coincidence. The fact that they are building this offense off of that rollout and off of that play action, because one of the things that it does is completely change what the passing lanes are that Hill has to work with. And it also clears out a lot of that traffic that's going to be in front of him that can sort of mask um, coverages. It can mask, you know, where a defender is sitting and waiting and trying to bait him. And we've seen him struggle with trying to throw from the pocket and struggle less away from the pocket. He's still got a lot of work to do. And if you just, if you go back and watch the footwork on some of these rollouts is curious. Uh, it 
it could be quieted down just a little bit. And, you know, coaches are, are going to work with that. Whoever gets brought in to work with the uh, quarterbacks next year, right? Like it's a pretty obvious uh, area of improvement for Hill, but you can also have confidence that Hill is going to recognize that it is an area for improvement because one of the big things that he's mentioned uh, after the game and especially after uh, Saturday's game was tuning out everything except for like trusting what his coaches are telling him and have been telling him. He, you know, he mentioned that last week was the first time he was able to like get into a rhythm to get into that like competitive blackout area and just like work on, you know, work off of his base. And that tells me that he's coachable. That tells me that he is, you know, not taking a cynical approach to the coaching that they're trying to do with him. They've, you know, that they've done so far. Uh, Kirk even mentioned that a lot of those plays that we've talked about here in terms of that rollout package, they just weren't able to do four weeks ago. So that is a testament to the growth that he's been able to make on the field. Again, there are going to be fans who say, you know, that wasn't fast enough for them. And and we heard that from Deacon last week after, um, you know, last mm-hmm. week's game. And at that point, it was fair right? because he had thrown for 330 yards in four games at that point. Like that's dismal. But it's one thing for him to say, you know, I, I get that we're not growing fast enough. Then he tacks a fast week of growth onto that. And that. <laughs> That tells me that things are starting to click and, you know, the Legos are starting to like fall into place and you can really build off of that and and build something sustainable off that. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, 300 yards against Illinois next week. You know, I, I'm not going to predict that, but it really does look like things are starting to slow down for Deacon already. And he is in position to succeed. Uh, he said Brian called a great game last week, and I kind of have to agree. And, you know, we we give the Ferences a lot of grief, and rightfully so, about sort of antiquated uh, offensive strategies and this and that. But, you know, the formula worked on Saturday, even down to, like, running to set up the pass. You know, everybody rolls their eyes at that phrase, and, you know, half the time it's for good reason because it comes from the 20th century but all you have to do is look at the plays from saturday's game that first drive it was all runs it was uh leishon williams moving the chains by himself and so when they first put the ball into deacon's hands he wasn't throwing great passes and everybody in that stadium was like well here we go again but the fact that leishon williams was able to sort of draw those defenders into those run gaps as soon as Iowa showed that action meant that that uh, rollout and play action was going to be there for them every single time. And that's how you get things like Adio Stringa goes, you know, eight for eight on targets. It's because he was always open and Iowa did not do too much in order to get him the ball. The, like, the most challenging throw of those eight, and I think by a pretty wide margin, was one near it was in the second half and it was one where Hill steps up in the pocket with pressure he's locked on to Ostranga who's actually in the middle of the field on this one and still like zips it in between two defenders yeah. that was in, a crazy in, throw 
in 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 one of the rare instances where his 95 mile an hour fastball was the exact one that he needed to throw and he did it and Ostranga made that play which again is a testament to the work that he's done to get himself ready for that gosh if Ostranga weren't well coached that would have bounced off his hands 10 times out of 10 or he you know wouldn't have been able to shoulder guys out to to make space for himself right that was a pretty remarkable play that we would not have seen. Kirk said four weeks ago. I don't know if we would have seen it. Well, I mean, two weeks ago was the bye. I don't know if we would have seen it two games ago or even last weekend against Northwestern. Like that was a progression of a quarterback skill set right in front of us. So yeah, I there is so much to build off of and, and so many teaching moments <laughs> as well. Uh, uh, LA you mentioned uh, four for 11 to uh, Regini and, and the interception wasn't even one of them. That was to um, Seth Anderson. And it, it was such a poor route that I don't think like it was designed to go to him regardless. Some of those were misses uh, to Regini and some of them were just, there, there was a fade route to the end zone. I think it was in the first half that just went over Ragini's head and I think some different receivers on Iowa would have turned that into a touchdown and I'm not saying that to to bash Ragini or anything like that but you know some of it it it, it was a reminder that's not all of these incompletions are on Deacon some of them I, Iowa has cleaned up the drops thankfully because uh, we we've seen some really really ugly performances on that front and Saturday was not one of them but Iowa's receivers are not always doing Deacon any favors. And there were a couple, there were a couple of throws to Ragini that I thought sort of fell into that. And there were some that just weren't catchable for him either and, and would have been catchable for any other receiver. So, you know, places to clean things up still. And coaches will tell us that. And I'm, you know, basically said that on Saturday, will tell us that on Tuesday and, and Wednesday too, depending on who we get. You know, but this was sort of the foundation that you get to build off of from there. So, yeah, it, it's it's got to be an instance. And and I finally figured out where my uh, train had gone off the tracks, Elliot. But, um, you know, if if Deacon had said all of those things about his confidence growing and like trusting his teammates and coaches and all that, if he had said all that last week or after the Minnesota game, we wouldn't have been sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I could see that. And been like, buddy, tell a better lie, right? Like, right. <laughs> tell something plausible. But it was, I believed it after Saturday's game. And some of that was just sort of the glow of having beaten a team by 22. But some of it was also the fact that, yeah, it was earned confidence. It was like, I, I think he's actually starting to believe it. And just like he said, like, this was the first week where you could really say that. Right. And, and to revert back to a couple things that you mentioned, uh, Adam, I think last night was the first time I would catch myself looking at what was going on in the field and saying, oh, I don't know if this is a pass or a run. Because they were setting it up with a run, the play action with a run. Like, oh, it's a play action. So us folks us lowly media folks don't know what's going to happen. Maybe that means opposing teams 
are looking at this, their tendencies and saying, oh, this isn't what we expected. And therefore, you get that complimentary football result. You get that 22 to zero because you open up things and, and you, I guess you actually do open up things and you find where teams are expecting you to do one thing and you do another. And that means you score points. Like it's, it's simple, but not easy, right? Like that is, that is what we saw last night. I think that was the first time we saw that this season. So to end our 40 minute rant about the offense, (laughs) we gotta, we still got to talk about the defense, right? I mean, like to pitch a shutout, they have just continually gotten better throughout the whole season. Jay Higgins finishes with eight tackles. Uh, they put together three tackles for a loss, one sack. That sack was by Nick Jackson, who is the epitome of what this uh, defense has done. Like, if you were to put it down to one player on this defense and say that encapsulates what the entire defense has done this season it's nick jackson was kind of figuring things out at the beginning of the year really finding where he was supposed to be playing a lot of coverage and now they've let him loose and the defense is back to if not close to its elite status that it was was at last season i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't put it quite to where it was at last year's at last year at this point in time but it's pretty damn good it's among the best in the country right now Yeah, I think one of the big things that Nick Jackson adds to this defense, especially now that he is growing into his role and and has so many games under his belt, is just another level of versatility. And they weren't really hurting for that versatility to begin with. But now, you know, opposing quarterbacks have to figure out, all right, is Sebastian Castro coming on a blitz or is he in coverage? Is Nick Jackson coming on a blitz or is he in coverage? You know, where's Jay Higgins going to be? Because there's a pretty good chance that he's going to be the guy ending up making the tackle, right? There's so many different moving parts that are going to be in front of a quarterback. And when those moving parts are as talented as a, you know, Xavier Wampa, as a Cooper DeGene, as a Jay Higgins, uh, to say nothing of the guys on the defensive line, like that is so difficult to prepare for especially when you've got a brain like Phil Parker disguising coverages, uh, mixing up looks, uh, playing off of tendencies and trying to bait quarterbacks into bad decisions. You know, I mean, gosh, how many times do we see Iowa making uh, an interception and the uh, defenders just basically waiting there for the ball? Quinn Schulte making the pick against Rutgers on Saturday was a perfect example. You know, it was was a bad throw to be sure, but he was right there in position for it. And so often we see that uh, Sebastian Castro's pick six against Iowa State. You know, it was a great play to break for that. But that wasn't just reaction, it was instinct. And that instinct comes from coaching. And it also comes from understanding your position, understanding the leverage, understanding what the quarterback's going to do as well as the quarterback understands it, right? Like being in his head is how Castro makes that jump as soon as the quarterback, you know, lines up to, to make that throw. So the fact that Nick Jackson gets thrown into that mix in terms of how is he going to make a play on this play? Right. Is is he going to make a play on pass rush? Is it going to be in coverage? Is you know, who's he lined up on? And you can't 
really count on any one answer, that's really, really difficult for offensive coordinators and, and just really underscores all the different ways that Iowa can put pressure on defenses. And Phil had a lot of fun on Saturday, uh, especially on the third longs. And, and Jay sort of uh, hinted at it a few weeks ago uh, when he mentioned field position. And, you know, when a team is backed up inside its 10, that's when Phil really likes to dial up the blitzes and get super aggressive. Well, when it's also third and long, Phil gets super aggressive too. And we saw that on Saturday and, you know, Rutgers wins it has been productive this year. He had no chance on Saturday. Couldn't run it. Couldn't throw it. Uh, couldn't really depend on uh modern guy to, you know, move the chains in his stead either. Like the Rutgers offense just could not do a thing against the Iowa defense. And it made Deacon's job a little bit easier, but it also really underscored the fact that, look, if you don't have your stuff together going up against the Iowa defense, it is going to be pain for 60 minutes. Pain. And that's what Iowa delivered. Us, you put together the uh, the overall article obviously adam and i got to the offense adam deacon myself caleb ross i i want to hear your thoughts on on the defensive performance last night yeah excuse me i think the thing that stood out to me about the defense really was just the way it improved over the course of the game i mean and it wasn't bad to start at all but you know they gave up 70 some yards i think in the first quarter and then the the next three quarters, it was just like a boa constrictor, like squeezing around some poor helpless bunny rabbit, basically. Like Rutgers just couldn't do anything. Like tried to run the ball, nope, nothing there. Tried to throw the ball, nope, nothing there. Um, it was just you know the defense was it was one of those games where it's like the defense has like they have thirteen guys like is is. Is that what's happening? Like, do they have more guys on the field than than the offense? And they don't, obviously, but, like, they know where the offense wants to be, and they're just preventing them from getting to those spots. Um, there were just some great tackles in that game. Um, Higgins had another. I mean, every week I think Higgins has a great, you know, tackle where he just really shows off uh, just, you know, great instincts and just great ability to, you know, get a guy down on the ground. And, um so that just really just struck me that, you know, this defense, and it was one of those things where you, you tried to single out one guy and it's, it's almost impossible because it's the entire unit just working as one, you know, it's the D line doing their job. It's the linebackers, you know, Higgins and Jackson are probably the flashiest uh, just kind of because of the nature of the roles they play. Like everything gets funneled to them. So they get to make the tackles, they get to make the big plays but the secondary, you know, they're, you know, smothering coverage and just the whole thing is working together so smoothly and so perfectly that that's, you know, it's a chain with no wink links. It's just, it's all clicking. And when it, when that happens, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Like the defense is just completely, you know, just destroying an opponent like that is, is really impressive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. If you enjoy watching like the vivisection of farm animals, right? Like, <laughs> but to, to, to go back to your, um, uh, 
comparison to like a boa constrictor. Uh, I, I've been thinking of that all year. And part of that is because of the stat, like coming into the season, Iowa was 63 and two, either 62 and two or 63 and two in games where they had at any point an eight point lead. And it, the the first time that we heard it was in the Iowa State game, uh, second game of the year. And, and yeah, at that point it was already 63. And everyone's like, what kind of stat like that that stat can't be real because like usually there's so many qualifiers attached to it like eight point lead in the fourth quarter or like when they have 200 yards rushing no 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 qualifiers just at any point in the game an eight point lead which again one possession uh and and now you look at this team and one haven't blown any eight point leads this year two have had that lead in seven of their eight wins and won them all. And, and the one that where they didn't was that uh, defensive battle against Northwestern at Wrigley Field, which was as great a performance by the defense as, well, I mean, anything up to last week. Really, like at that point in the season, it was probably the defense's best performance. So that is a testament to coaching as well. It's a testament to Phil Parker and and really just that nature of, all right, we've done enough to win. Now it's time to choke these jokers out. And Iowa just does such an incredible job of it. And in a sport where you just would not, you would expect more variance than 70 and two, especially over such a long, like that's two recruiting cycles, no less, right? Like you can't be like, and that's all thanks to Cooper DeGene or, you know, that is entirely different personnel cycles. And Iowa just keeps winning when it's in position. And I I don't know how you can attribute that to anything other than Kirk Ferentz and coaching. I, I really don't. That is execution of game plans that, any other coach in America would kill for. And and I'm only mildly exaggerating because I think about 30 to 40% of FBS head coaches would actually kill for, <laughs> as long as they didn't get caught, they wouldn't want to go to prison, but you know, they, they would, you know, you, you see these guys and you get it. But yeah, that was, uh, it's, it's a, as much a part of Kirk Ferentz's legacy at Iowa as anything is just his ability to find ways to win games and make it happen. It's incredible. Well, I think you guys made every point to possibly make about the defense. One last thing that I'll say before we get out of here and, and Adam heads to Cedar Falls for Iowa's matchup with UNI this afternoon, Caitlin Clark looking to become the all-time leading scorer at Iowa, correct? 16 points yes. away. Yep. Yeah, so she's uh, probably going to get that. Spoiler alert. The last thing I'll say about the Iowa defense is that pick from Quinn Schulte last night. The way Jay and Nick raved about Quinn after the game. I believe Kirk did as well. And then you look at video that was put up by Mitch Fick from KGAN. It's on Twitter. Mitch does great work. Yes. He got a shot of... Quinn and, and the rest of the defense, well, he got the shot at Quinn getting the interception, but them running off the field and celebrating. Cooper DeGene does not bat an eye when he makes an unreal play. Everybody else loses their mind. Cooper DeGene does not bat an eye. Quinn gets that pick, 
and you will never see Cooper celebrate like that. Yeah, he was biggest smile I've almost ever seen on his face all over Quinn after that pick. And uh, quote, I think it was from Nick said it last night. He's like, once I saw Quinn, I turned around and tried to block, ran as fast as I could, tried to block the best I could, didn't hit anybody. But, <laughs> but I, I, and like, I think Jay referenced the media too, and just said something like, Oh, you guys never cover Quinn. It's like, well, He's not that exciting of a personality. <laughs> neither, neither is the free safety position. Like, like we're just, we're, it's just, it's there. He does his job. He's like a secondary Mike linebacker out there is essentially what they told us last night. Um, putting guys where they need to be and, and makes plays often doesn't come up with interceptions. You don't have him be aggressive. You have him be at the back of the defense as you know, center field, well, not necessarily center field, but that last line of defense makes those tackles prevents big plays. And he got that pick last night and the rest of the defense couldn't have been happier. He almost returned it for six. Imagine, imagine what they would have been like if, if he returned that for, for a touchdown. They, I was on that play. They were blocking like crazy to try to get him into the end zone on that run back. Like they, everyone wanted him to get, to get that touchdown. <clears throat> they did. Yeah. I was, I was a little bit surprised to hear that uh, the, workload for free safety in this Iowa defense is as high, if not higher than the Mike backers, because we hear about all of the uh, things that get put on the shoulders of Mike's in this defense. And and we've been hearing it for years and years and years, right? Like, like that's not a, you know, like they're not saying that to prop up Jay or Jack, like that is just what we understand about the Iowa defense. And so uh, yeah, the, the fact that, that Quinn got that pick, um, and, and was in great position to do it. And Quinn's always just been that guy that's in that position to make the play. And it sounds basic, but it's another one of those simple, not easy sort of things. And it seems like every big play that you see a defense give up, especially in the passing game, or even like on long runs, it starts with a safety who's out of position. And Schulte's just never out of position. And that has to drive quarterbacks, defensive coordinators, or uh, excuse me, uh, opposing offensive coordinators, has to drive them insane. That they that there's just like, that door never gets propped open by Schulte, by, by some sort of misstep. And rarely has a free safety in an Iowa defense ever been the guy that does leave it open but we've seen a few now and then and you don't have to make those big flashy plays, you know, those interceptions, fumble recoveries, or even, you know, forces and all that to be highly, highly effective in a great defense. And Schulte has been sort of a one of guys who have proven that Kayvon Merriweather was the same way. And he even made some of those flashy plays. He made them more often than Schulte does, Uh, but you don't have to, turn the ball over to be a great safety in a Phil Parker defense. You just have to keep being in position every single time. And again, you know, not easy, but it is simple. Former quarterbacks and walk-ons always going to be in that free safety spot. Quinn Schulte, the epitome of them all. And unless you guys have something else to add, we can, we can get out of here and, and let you head to Cedar Falls, Adam. All good. Yeah, that sounds great. I've I've got nothing else. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Iowa men play Creighton at 9 p.m. So late game on Tuesday. I'll be covering that as well. You can follow along on Twitter at Elliot Clough. Of course, follow along for today's game at Adam underscore Jacoby. Adam, where is that game going to be broadcasted? Uh, That one is going to be streaming as well, unfortunately. Uh, BTN Plus or Peacock. It's it's one of the two. Ross, you're shaking your head. Which one is it? ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus. Okay, so number three. Uh, Regardless, it's streaming only, which is a little bit of a disappointment to everyone who wants to watch Caitlin Clark on TV. But it seems like, I don't know, it's 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 not difficult to find an ESPN Plus or Disney Plus um, promotion at this point. So, but yeah, it'll be on the line, just like me and my Twitter account. (laughs) Exactly. Having so, if you're not on ESPN Plus or or as any of the Disney bundles. Follow along with Adam on on Twitter, and having been a UNI graduate and been informed in those uh, involved in those broadcasts, I can say I am not surprised it's on ESPN Plus. That's usually how they do things. But anywho, we will wrap it up here. Stay tuned for all that coverage, and of course, we'll get preview for that Illinois game coming up later this week. I'll be at State Football on Friday to cover both Reese Vanderzee and Derek Weiskopf in that championship game, and then once again be making the trip back for Arkansas State bas- uh, basketball game for the men uh, against Arkansas State on Friday, back at it Saturday in Kinnick Stadium. So we got all the coverage for you on iowa.rivals.com. Stay tuned there. And, of course, to our Twitter pages as well. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Podcast wherever you're listening. If you're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please subscribe. That way you do not miss an episode from us. Drop a like for us on YouTube. Drop a rate and review for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Not only does it make us very happy, it helps us out a lot. So we greatly, greatly appreciate you. Drop your comments, your thoughts on the game from this weekend for the games going into this week, what your thoughts are for those games in the comments on YouTube. If we missed anything from today's game, Drop us a note. Say, hey, dummies, you missed this. Let us know right there on YouTube. And you do that on our uh, premium board as well. Head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. You can become part of our premium content there. Not only do you get to read our stuff, but you get to interact with us on a daily basis on our premium board. So we appreciate you once again. For now, I am Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Adam Jacoby and Ross Binder. We We'll see you next time.